Welcome to another episode of the No Degree Podcast. This is your host, Janai Iqbal, and today's guest is Heather Osgood. Heather is currently the founder of True Native Media, an advertising agency that specializes in connecting brands with podcasts. She also had a trade show company and came from a background in radio advertising sales. Heather shares all of the successes and struggles she faced, so make sure to pay attention. Subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash no degree. Every contribution is appreciated. The show is impossible without you. Let's get the show started. Today we have Heather Osgood, the founder of a podcast advertising agency, and I'll let her say the name of it. Hey, Janine, it's great to be on your show today. Thank you for coming on. I always appreciate people who have interesting backgrounds, who are doing interesting things. So what's the name of your company? It's True Native Media. It is a podcast advertising agency. And essentially, we specialize in representing podcasts and connecting them with advertisers. So we're kind of like the middlemen in between advertisers and podcasts. And that's such a growing industry. So it's definitely a great time for you to have gotten in on it. What's your day to day like in that? What are you really involved in with that? Because CEOs, right? We always get dragged into different things. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, the company's been up and running now for about four years, and I do a lot of everything, but we are a remote company. So when I first founded the company, I didn't intend to start a remote organization, but I hired a woman off of Upwork that I really loved, and she lived in Baltimore. And the more I worked with her, the more I realized that having a remote team was really quite useful and interesting. So I started this remote team. So of course, that has dictated a lot what my day-to-day is, you know, and, and what I do. So it's nice from the perspective that I can be anywhere, you know, in the world essentially and still do my job. I do focus heavily on sales. Sales is my background. And so I do a lot of the selling in the company. Um, I also work closely with podcasts and trying to recruit new shows. And then all of the other just fun parts of running a company. So working with the employees to make sure everybody's on task, um, working on the vision for the company and making sure that we're headed in the right direction. And then of course, just all the financial financial and human resources things that startups have to deal with. That's a lot. You said you've been at it for four years. And I know, especially within the last year, podcasts have grown so much. Did you sort of see this type of growth or did you expect more? How's that been? I sold my last company. So I had a company, a trade show production company that I owned for almost 10 years. And I sold that to my partner. And after I kind of, for the first time in my adult life, didn't really have much to do, I started listening to a lot of podcasts because I have always been fairly obsessed with self-help and entrepreneurial books and information. And so my husband said one day, you need to check out these podcasts. And so I started listening. And the more I listened, the more I realized that there were all of these podcasts podcasts that didn't have advertisers on them. So I felt like there was a real need in the industry and I could see that the industry was growing. But it's it's fascinating. When I started the company, there were 400,000 podcasts in iTunes. And now there's 750,000 podcasts in iTunes just in four years. So I mean, the industry has grown rapidly, but there's still so much growth ahead of us. It's interesting because I had a friend the other day It was like three days ago. He asked me some questions about a podcast. And then when I went on LinkedIn, he released his first episode. And I was like, wait, you told me like five hours earlier. I thought it would take like a day or two. And it's so much easier. There's so many more platforms. So let's take it back to the beginning. Let's go back to early. I know you went to some college. So how was that like, right? Because you're, let's say, early 20s. What was the situation like for you? 
Yeah, yeah, sure. So actually in high school, I was super into theater and I wanted to become an actress and I got accepted to a private acting college in Seattle and we drove up there, my parents and I, we live in California and we checked the college out and I was very interested. But then we sat down with a financial aid person and I realized even at the age of 18 that my college degree was going to cost me as much as a house costed. <laughs> and I thought, wait, I could buy a house or I could get this acting degree. And I, I knew even though acting was my passion, that it was really difficult to make a living um, as an actress. I didn't really want to take that financial kind of commitment to the industry. And so I decided not to go in that direction. And essentially, instead, I ended up getting married and having um, a child at 20. And I didn't go to college because I was taking care of my son. And while I was married, I still really had um, the need to provide for him and provide for us. And so college, I guess, at that point, just felt really off the table for me. Okay, so what'd you end up doing? Because you didn't go to college and you founded many companies. So I know you did a lot. <laughs> yeah, well, so I really started um, my work career in retail. And I I was um, the assistant manager of a retail store, which was a lot of fun. And I enjoyed it. But I worked crazy hours. You yeah, know, when we retail is crazy. Retail is crazy. And no what you're so now you enjoy Black Fridays, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I was talking to my sister one day and I said, I hate this job. I just work all the time. And she said, You need to get into sales. And so I thought, okay, well, I'll I'll give it a try. So the local radio station was always looking for people. And so I applied and got accepted in a position for radio sales. And that really changed, uh, I would say, the whole trajectory of my life and my career. I wouldn't be where I'm at today if I hadn't started in radio sales um, at probably the age of, I think it was probably 22 when I started in radio sales. It's funny because now you're in podcast advertising sales. Yeah, it's kind of come full circle. (laughs) Yeah, full circle. So how was it like working in radio sales? Well, it was really fascinating um, because I didn't have a background in any sort of like a corporate atmosphere. I didn't have a background, you know, in what it meant to be professional or come to an office. And it was super competitive. I would go out and literally cold call on businesses. So I would walk into businesses and try to sell them ads. And it wasn't uncommon for a business to say, you're the fifth radio rep who's been in my store this week. Like, you know, it was so super, super competitive. It was really difficult. But the great thing about it was it trained me so many. um, trained me in so many ways and gave me so many skills. The company that I worked for did a phenomenal job training me on how to be a salesperson and how to just be a professional. And I was really, I had some great bosses and mentors at that job that helped really kind of mold and craft um, who I was as a person. And that was just a really good launching pad for me to move on to other things. What was your big takeaway from the radio sales? Like what was good? What'd you love about it? And you know, what didn't you love about it? Like what was a little tough about that? What I loved about it most was the idea of persistence. So we did a really good job at that company as and working as working as a team. So I want to say there were probably about 20 sales reps in total. And 
And it was, you know, we all worked together. We all helped support one another. I really always felt like people were encouraging me to be more and try more and really stick with it because you do get a lot of rejection in sales. And I just felt like the environment really helped teach me the skills of persistence. And also the idea of rejection. I mean, people always say like in sales, you have to accept rejection, but you kind of do. I mean, you have to build up a thick skin. You have to realize that when someone is saying no to what you're selling, they're not really saying no to you, the person. They're saying no to your product. I feel like that really helped me. The downside is that it was just really hard work. You know, I, I was constantly pounding the pavement. I was in radio sales, I think, for about three years. And then I moved to newspaper sales. It was like the cushy life because everybody bought newspaper ads. It was so much easier. And when I went over to newspaper sales, I remember just looking around at all the salespeople in newspaper and just kind of shaking my head and saying, you guys have no idea how easy you have it because it was easy to sell newspaper ads in comparison to selling radio ads. Okay. Do you, how do you think newspaper ads are today? I don't think it... Do you think it's as easy? Not good, right? I don't know. At the time, really, there was, I mean, the internet was just kind of coming on board. I mean, it, it was a thing, but not a huge thing. And people had a really hard time with radio because it was like, everyone would say it was like selling air, right? So there wasn't that tangibility. Whereas like the daily newspaper, like if your ad was in there, I could walk into the business and say, hey, here's your ad. And and customers would walk into the store with the ad in hand, which obviously doesn't happen in radio. So um, at the time, newspaper advertising was much easier to sell, but I'm sure today it would not be easy at all. Yeah, no, I figured it's a lot tougher. So how long were you in radio sales for? So radio sales was how long? And then when did you move to newspaper sales? I I, so I was in radio for about three years. And then I moved into newspaper sales. And I don't remember the exact number of years I was in newspaper sales. But I, I traveled kind of through some renditions with print. So I did newspaper. I did magazine. Then I ended up being the publisher of a local community newspaper. Yeah, I did. I did several kind of renditions in newspaper and print. What were the next steps after that? At one point, I realized that there was a need in our community for a home and garden expo. So most communities in in the country have some sort of a home and garden show where contractors and painters and roofers and things come together in an exhibit hall to homeowners. And so a good friend of mine, she and I kind of got together and I said, hey, we should do this. I think that one of the unique things that you get when you work with small business owners, especially in the capacity that I did, is I would sit down with them and I would talk to them about what was happening in their companies and where their issues were, how we could help grow their company through marketing. And so I I felt like I got a really good kind of inside look into what it was like to be a small business owner. And when I felt that there was this need for a home and garden expo, and I had the support of my best friend who ended up becoming my business partner, as well as my husband and her husband, I felt like I understood what it was like to be a small business owner because for so many years I had been talking to them. So we decided to launch that company, which essentially was in the same vein as advertising because instead of selling newspaper ads, now I was show, I, I was selling um, a trade show booth. So I was selling the value of what it was like to have a booth at a trade show and market yourself face-to-face. A lot of these things, the sales skills have always sort of translated in a different capacity, right? So what things would you say translated and what didn't translate? 
That's a great question. You know, I mean, realistically, because I, I mean, all of my career, I've always sold some form of marketing. I would say that most all of it has translated. And even still today, being in now podcast ad sales, I take so many of the lessons I've learned from my past careers and, and past experiences and bring those into podcasting. So I don't really feel like there's that much that hasn't translated, truthfully. Yeah, because everything's always a lesson that you can sort of, you know what you're using. You mentioned that you went to school. What happened with that? Did you ever try going back? Yeah, yeah. So when I was actually when I was doing radio ad sales, I went to my boss. So I was in my early 20s and I said, Hey, I really want to get my degree. Would it be okay if I went to school? So he said yes, which was very kind of him. And I took a few classes at the um, local community college. And actually, even during high school, I had taken some courses um, at our local community college. I really was had gone in with the intention of getting a degree, but it turned out that it was just a whole lot of work. And one of the challenges is that I was making a good living doing what I was doing. I'm looking at the different career opportunities out there and you know, saying, okay, let's examine the opportunities. If I put a, a lot of time and effort into getting a degree, what is that going to actually produce for me at the end of the day? And when I had so many life commitments, it was hard for me to take the time to get my degree when I felt like I was already, already really succeeding in my career. I'm happy you didn't get the degree because I wouldn't have invited you if you had completed it. <laughs> No, but on a more serious note, so you had all these commitments and it was tough. And the fact is you were doing well. Has the lack of degree ever held you back professionally? It hasn't. I mean, and I suppose it's one of those things that you don't know maybe where it would have held you back um, it, unless you had had have one. I mean, because I have been in sales, I have not... No, and, and I guess too, I think it, it does have a lot to do with when I started my career. So let's see. I, I mean, I think I probably started in sales in around like 1999. No one asked in sales if I had a degree. No one cared if I had a degree. And then I translated or, or transitioned into becoming an entrepreneur. And of course, certainly no one cares or knows if I have a degree now. Um, the other thing that is a little challenging is that people assume that I've gone to college. You know, people never say, do I have a degree? They just want to know where I went to college and how come my LinkedIn profile isn't completed. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily feel like it has held me back. I think if, of course, if I was trying to become a teacher or a doctor or somebody where I really needed to have those credentials or that education, it, I'm sure it would have held me back. But given the career path I've chosen, I don't feel like it's really been a hindrance. Okay. You went to newspaper sales, you went to the trade show. So how, how long did you do that? The trade show uh, stuff? Yeah. So I had that company for almost 10 years. Um, so it was just over um, nine, like nine and a half when I ended up selling that company to my business partner. How'd you sort of grow that company? That's a really good question. And I learned so many, so many interesting lessons. So my husband and I have both been really entrepreneurial. So kind of way back in our entrepreneurial journey, we originally um, flipped a house together. So that was an interesting lesson. We did that kind of, I, I guess, I guess it was probably like 2005 is when we flipped a house. That was a good time. 2005 was a great time to sell a house right before the, the recession hit. So that was really interesting. 
And then we decided to open the trade show production company. And then he and I also opened a haircutting business um, that we just sold here a few months ago. In that mix, we just really kind of stepped into what it was like to be entrepreneurs. And and we've really kind of embraced that. But there have been so many lessons that we have learned. And I, I certainly have not learned all of the lessons today that there are to learn in business because there are just so many ins and outs. I think, you know, the hardest part of being a business owner is that you are totally dependent on yourself to create your own income. And I I guess having come from sales, it wasn't really that big of a deal. I had worked on a commission basis for a really long time. So I wasn't freaked out because I wasn't accustomed to getting like a standard paycheck every week. And I really haven't been, you know, my entire career. I, I, don't know exactly what's coming the next week financially, but it, it is challenging when you're running a company to understand how to best leverage the company, both financially, um, product-wise, how to handle employees, whether you should have employees. I think a lot of times when people think about starting a company, they focus so heavily on the product. And of course, the product is super important, but there are so many other aspects that in some ways, I almost feel like the product is secondary because there are so many other things as a business owner that you have to get taken care of to make sure that your company runs smoothly. What were some, you mentioned that as entrepreneurs, we always learn a lot of lessons. So what are some of the, a few lessons that really stick out for you? I think that one of the biggest lessons to me, that's kind of my mantra right now is to start with the end in mind. One of the mistakes that I made in my trade show production company is that I started a company with my best friend and her and I were wonderful together. A lot of times you do get a business partner that you're not great with and there can be issues that that occur. Um, But her and I worked super, super well together until I made the decision that I was not wanting to be part of the company anymore. And we didn't have a plan in place for what to do next. If we had started the company thinking, hey, we're not going to want to do this for the rest of our lives. Like what's going to happen when one of us decides that we want to um, part ways? If we had had a plan in place before there were any emotions involved, it would have been so much simpler. And unfortunately, we didn't have a plan in place when it came for me to leave the company. It was a little challenging for sure. And I'm happy to say that we're still best friends, which is great, but it certainly has been a journey. And I think that it's so important when you start a company to think about what your intentions are. Why are you starting the company? What are you hoping to get out of the company personally? You know, what do you want to provide to your customers? What is, what is the motivation and why do people want to interact with you? And then I also think it's really important to think about whether or not you want to sell your company, because I, I think a lot of times people start businesses with this idea that they're going to be able to sell their business, but they're not starting a business that's sellable. When you create a company, you really have to to get clear with yourself about what it is that you're doing and what you're trying to create. You did that business for almost 10 years. When did you sort of realize like, hey, maybe I may not want to do this for that much longer? What were the signs? Like, how'd you know it's time to move on? That's a really great question. I mean, for me, there was a lot of things that kind of came to a head. My mom, unfortunately, passed away. And I realized that I needed to have stronger leadership capabilities. And in that moment, I didn't really feel like I was up to 
the task. And a lot of that looking back was just the emotional strain that losing my mom kind of placed on, you know, my, my life in general. I can say that I am so much stronger now coming out on the other side, which has been really empowering for me because, um, it certainly has been a journey. But I think at that moment, unfortunately, when you have something like that in happen in your life, you really reevaluate everything, you know? And so for me, I was like, what are we doing in this company? Why am I here? You know, um, what do I want out of life? And I felt like as much as the company had grown, that we were running into roadblocks over and over again. I didn't know that I had the capabilities to fix the issues that I saw in the business. And I think one of the challenges with business is that you do get 10 years in and the business can kind of get out of control. You know, when you start, when I, when I started Trinative Media, I was just like, oh, it's like a fresh start. I get to start from the beginning um, and take all of the lessons that I learned at the last company and apply them to this company. It's so much easier to start something from scratch than it is to clean up a mess, I think sometimes. Um, and so at that point, I just felt like I no longer kind of had the passion and the drive that I needed to really bring to the table every day to be a strong and effective leader to face the challenges that were happening in the industry. Because just as newspapers have become a challenge to sell, face-to-face events are a challenge now too, because so many people are going online. And I could see on the horizon that I felt there could be some changes happening. And I was concerned that I wasn't up to the task. And that kind of coupled with my lack of passion and the challenges I was having and losing my mom, you know, kind of just led me to the place to make the decision that it was time to move on. Yeah. As entrepreneurs, right, we have different lifestyles, right? You have different days. We don't have the traditional nine to five. When you dealt with the passing of your mom, how was it? Because as an employee dealing with it is very different than someone who's co-owner of a business where you have this tragic loss and you need to put your full in, but you just can't, right? A part, a big part of your life is gone. How'd you get around that? Yeah, that's a good question. So my business partner and I ended up getting pregnant within three weeks of each other. And so I let her know that I was pregnant and she could stop trying. And then it turned out she got pregnant too. And so it was a really interesting journey because we were pregnant together and then we were both on maternity leave at the same time, which was never the intention. And I will never forget because I have an older son she said, I, we you know we're, we sat down one day at a meeting and she goes, I've been thinking about it a lot. And I think after I have my baby, I'm going to want to take at least two weeks off. And I just laughed at her because I was like, no way you're not going to take two weeks off. You're going to take way more than two weeks off. She really thought that that was going to be plenty of time. And it turned out that two weeks wasn't enough time. I think she ended up taking like two months off. I guess just kind of comparing that to the loss of my mother, when you are a business owner and you do have kind of this capability of doing whatever it is that you want to do, that can be a bit of a challenge. But I don't remember exactly how much time I took off. I think that I took about a week off. But I could be wrong in that. But I think the the biggest challenge is coming back to work and I guess just tuned into the company. Because when you, as a leader, you have to be really, really engaged in what's happening in your company in order to, you know, just make sure that it's headed in the right direction. You know, you have to come with a passion and a dedication to the company. And 
under that emotional strain, I didn't have the ability to bring my all to the company. And it was a a much bigger transition, I think, than I I thought that it would be. I do think that it's a plus to have a business partner in those situations because you do have somebody to lean on to say, gosh, this is a really hard thing. Can you help? And can you be there for me? Whereas when you are an entrepreneur all by yourself, there is nobody else to pick up the pieces. You know, you have to be there um, regardless of what's happening in your life. So you and your business partner have a very healthy dynamic. How was this starting a business with a friend? Because there's a common saying, don't start a business with friends and family. You guys had great communication. How'd you guys make it work so that you guys have this great dynamic that you guys could just do things together and the company was still going to do what it did? And then, you know, even the exit, like, how'd you guys have that relationship? What do you think were some key factors that caused it to be so good and work so well for 10 years? Yeah, I think that a lot of it is communication. So I'm a verbal processor, which is probably part of the reason I love podcasts so much. But she and I would sit down and she's also a verbal processor. And when we had issues to kind of hash out, we were able to really sit and just talk and connect until we came up with a a solution to the issue. I also think that a big, big part of what you have to do with partnerships is that you need to be realistic about who you're going into business with. You know, we've had, my husband and I have had other other partner relationships that haven't been quite as fruitful. And what I have determined is that a lot of times you get into business with somebody and you take it really lightly. And the reality is, is that if you are going to go into business with someone, it's almost like you're marrying that person. I mean, I spent more time with her every day than I probably spent with my husband for 10 years. You know, when you leave that relationship, that's really challenging, right? Because if you're seeing somebody every day for eight hours a day for 10 years, I mean, that's a lot of time spent together. So you have to make sure that you are selecting a business partner that you actually want to be with that often, right? Now, granted, of course, in the situation of remote work, it's totally different. But I think that the keys are making sure that you actually really like the person that you're going to be going into business with. Because if you don't like that person, if after a 30 minute meeting, you're like, Oh my gosh, I just wish they would be quiet. That's, you know, you don't, you don't want that, right? You also really want somebody who is going to be just as passionate and contribute to the company at a high level. And oftentimes, you know, there is like some unequality in passion level with businesses. So you want to make sure that your partner is really engaged and really passionate. And I felt like her and I were. And then I really think communication is a big piece to contend with because if you communicate in a way that is very difficult for one another, you're not going to really get the result that you need. I do think one of the lessons that I learned or one of the many lessons that I learned in that partnership is that her and I are very much alike and we probably would have benefited more if we had had someone that was a little bit different, that had a different skill level. So she had certain tasks that she handled and I had certain tasks that I handled, but it would have been, but we also had a lot of crossover and we both did a lot of the selling. It would have been better for the company if we had had somebody who was really, really strong in areas that neither she or I were strong in. Okay. That's cool. I know you guys are still best friends. You guys still talk about trade shows? We do. Yep. (laughs) Okay, Okay. So now you sold the company. You're listening to podcasts. It's one thing to listen to a podcast. And, you know, you have that advertising background. When was it you're like, this is the future. I need to get in on this because you got in four years ago. 
And yeah. that was a time where podcasts were still whatever. It was up and coming. Like you said, it's pretty much from 400K to 750K. How'd you sort of realize, like, this is what I want to do based on my background, based on my passion? How'd you figure that out? I'll take you back just a little ways. When I was in sales, I had heard that you should use your car as like a university on wheels, right? Because when you're in outside sales, you're driving around all the time. So I had all this time in the car. And one day I was at a yard sale and there was this like whole stack of like audio books that were on tape back then. <laughs> and I picked them up and they had a huge impact on me. I listened to them over and over and over in my car. And then as soon as I kind of ate through those, then I got into the library and I used to check out audiobooks from the library. So I have been a big audio consumer for a really long time. And when, and really the, actually the first time I discovered podcasts, I don't remember what year it was, but somebody was like, Oh, you should listen to this podcast. And so I remember like going to the person's website and downloading it. And then you had to upload it to your podcast or your iPad or no, what was it called? <laughs> I forgot. Um, I, iPod touch. I remember. Yeah. Yes. Okay. It was, no, it was just an iPod. I think, yeah, I just had an iPod, right? So I had to upload it to my iPod and it was so much work. And I remember thinking, I will never listen to this podcast ever again. This is so, so time consuming. Right. And so I had kind of just written podcasts off altogether. But then, you know, like I said, one day my husband had mentioned to me, Oh, I've been listening to this great podcast and you should check it out. I think that it was entrepreneur on fire is what he was listening to. So I started listening to it and I thought, this is great. And then it's like, and I feel like with podcasts, it's one of those things, like as soon as you realize it's there, it's almost like you look up and there's this huge sea in front of you of all of this amazing content that you didn't realize existed. And you're, you know, I mean, for me, I was just like in seventh heaven because I could listen to these interviews with these business owners that were people I would never have the opportunity to sit down and listen to or talk to. And I just felt like I got so much information out of these podcasts. And, but the more I listened and the deeper I got, you know, I, I think every like traditionally podcast listeners start at the, like the top level, like right with the daily or with these um, serial or with these mega shows, right? So people come in at the top and then they go, Oh, I like this. And then they dig in a little deeper. So as I dug in deeper, I was like, there's all these shows that don't have ads. Like, how come these shows don't have ads? And that just kind of blew my mind. And I realized the reason they didn't have ads was because the people in the industry had essentially determined that unless you had 50,000 downloads per episode in a 30-day period, that your podcast wasn't viable. Well, I had been selling advertising in magazines where we printed 10,000 copies and we could make thousands of dollars in ads, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars in ads, right? From this little magazine that we printed 10,000 copies. My thought was, well, gosh, if I can sell something here locally, that's only reaching 10,000 people, I can definitely take that and run with it on a national level. It turns out that that, that was the case, that there really was an opportunity there. You know, what's my intro to podcasting. It's, I knew a podcast, right? But I never really got into it. But then since I was an, I'm an entrepreneur, I drive a lot, right? I'm going here, I'm going here, I'm going to this networking event, I'm going to whatever, this trade show, I'm meeting this client, meeting, like catching up with a friend. And so I drive like 2000 miles a month. And then there are certain days where it's like, I may drive an hour and a half to somewhere, hour and a half back, then I got to run this errand and I'm driving four to six hours a day. And now the, the issue with me is 
that I can't work during that time. I'm losing so much. And then it's like, when I started listening to podcasts, it's like, I could be stuck in traffic. I was like, okay, I have something to listen to. So now it's like, I, I'm taking those hours because I normally don't have time to read books. I mean, I do have a little time, but I don't have time to read like lots of books or like watch TV. But when I'm in the car or when I'm doing something where I'm commuting, that's like the perfect time. And I've gotten so much out of it. So you sort of saw that you've always been an audio person and you've kind of saw the opportunity. This was four years ago. How has the market changed from four years ago to today? It has changed a lot. I mean, I think that one of the big things for me is that when I first started in in podcasting, I literally would call businesses who didn't know what a podcast was, right? So I'm trying to sell ads and I'm calling them and saying, hey, are you interested in an ad? And they're saying, well, what exactly is a podcast? And my favorite is I had several people who thought webinars were podcasts. So I would be like, oh, well, do you listen to podcasts? And they'd be like, oh yeah, I signed up for for one of those and but I didn't have a chance to to watch it and I'm like okay that's not a podcast you know so it was funny to me and so I, I guess the the biggest thing is awareness right so after four years most businesses are aware of podcasting and most marketers are really interested in learning about it of course I mean statistically still only about 30 percent of the population is actively listening to podcasts all the time but people are listening increasingly and marketers are increasingly interested in advertising on podcast, which is really terrific. So I feel like those are the biggest shifts that I've seen. Of course, the number of shows out there has grown. I would say just the industry as a whole has gotten larger. Did you sort of expect it to be like this when four years ago you started? Did you expect it to go at this or it's been going faster than you expected or slower? That's a really good question. I I would say that it's pacing about what I had anticipated. In 2021, they expect podcast ads to exceed a billion dollars, which is phenomenal because I want to say when I started, sales were more around like 200 million. Um, so for it to grow that quickly is pretty phenomenal. I mean, I guess realistically, it has grown quicker than I expected. I knew it was going to grow, but I didn't expect it to grow as quickly as it has grown, which is just super exciting. But it's also, I mean, that can also be a challenge, right? I haven't secured any sort of outside funding for the company. At one point, I had thought that it would be nice to have an outside investor. But the more I've thought about it, the more I really just prefer having essentially total control over the company and what I'm doing. But the challenge with that has been that I mean, I could scale and grow the company a whole lot faster if I had uh, the resources to hire a bigger staff. Okay. What are sort of the next steps with your company? Like, or what are sort of the next trends that you sort of want to capitalize on? I think that the next trends that we want to really capitalize on are are figuring out a way to better systemize the ad buying process. So, you know, certainly there are ad buying platforms out there and we're not necessarily looking to build a platform, but really just get to a place where the average marketer or the average company feels comfortable with the idea of buying podcast ads um, and helping them understand the industry and how they can buy ads and make it successful. One of the big challenges in the industry is metrics. Uh, there aren't as many metrics as we really need to take ads to the next level. I guess really just being actively aware of that. And then we're also just really working on ideas of where are there gaps in the market and how can we step up while still really maintaining the focus on advertising. For me, I really believe the industry is headed toward dynamic ad insertion. And so we're really working with our shows to talk to them about 
about that transition to dynamic ad insertion, which I think will be a really good step for the industry and for podcasts, helping kind of facilitate that, but also working with podcasts to make sure that they're capitalizing on being the best that they can be and doing um, the best that they can do as podcasters and us stepping into that role of taking care of their advertising so they can do what they do best, which is create content. So I know that you have, you deal with small businesses, medium and large. Who has been sort of the most receptive in this and who are sort of, it's a bigger challenge because I know four years ago, you're educating people on like, what, there's a podcast, people listen to this. And you know, what are you sort of focusing on today? Well, so we found that a lot of software programs are really good opportunities for us because they just work really well. So if you're listening to podcasts, you really, I mean, not quite so much anymore because podcasts have certainly been around. I mean, the first podcast was in 2004, but um, most podcast listeners are classified as early adopters. And so software products do tend to work well. We have found that we're trying to dig deeper into that. Consumer products are also really good um, because they're just, you know, they're just general products that we all are looking for and that we're all wanting. So for us, it's really, it has been identifying the the segments in the market that are going to be most receptive to podcast advertising and trying to go in that direction, as opposed to companies or segments that are, are more challenged with it. And I think what I have found is that if you are a, a startup company, right, so some of the newer companies out there are going to be more receptive to podcast advertising than some of the larger companies because they have very institutional marketing plans that have been around for a long time. And when you try to kind of come in and propose a new idea, it just is really challenging. So for us, we've seen the most success with the mid-level companies that are um, innovative and oftentimes newer. I know that a lot of people struggle with this. You went to college, you had to leave, and then you have the successful career. Did you ever feel like we're not good enough? Or And if you did, when did you ever get past that realization like, hey, I'm successful, I'm comfortable with myself, I don't need this, I don't ever need to go back? Mm -hmm. So I would say that um, I have had quite the transformational journey over the last five years since my mom passed away. And a lot of that has been me really doing a lot of introspection and thinking about who I am and and where do I get my value. And yes, of course, education is important. And my son that I had at 20 is now um, a senior in college getting his degree in um, computer programming engineering. And I'm very proud of him. And that's a good degree. Um, I- it is. That's a good degree. I think he's going to be quite successful. That's one of those things where he needs the degree, right? And he was so funny. A couple of weeks ago, he's like, mom, I think I need my master's. I'm like, okay, well, that's on your dime. So <laughs> if you want a master's, you go for it. But um, And my two younger children, I think that they'll probably go to college as well. So it's not that I, I don't think that college is valuable, but I also feel like education can be found in so many different ways and so many different avenues. And I have spent countless hours in courses and conferences and reading books. And um, I have had to, you know, kind of come to terms with the fact that my value is not based on where I went to college. My value is based on what I can contribute to society, what I can contribute to my family and, and my business. In terms of my own personal worth, yeah, I mean, there's certainly have been times where I think, gosh, like, I'm with all of these super educated people, especially if you get in those kind of academic groups, they get a 
a little bit more, you know, um, scrutinized who you are and, and where you've been and what you've done. But just realizing that education doesn't make you who you are, you make you who you are. And I really believe that we are each created with our own paths. And we all have something unique to offer to the world in every facet of our lives. And so it's our job to identify what our path is and what our contribution is to the world. And we can either as individuals, especially, you know, older individuals who don't have degrees, we can either choose to say, gosh, that's not, um, you know, that makes me less than because I don't have a degree, or we can choose to say, hey, this is who we are. And this is what we want to contribute to the world. And truth be told, if I really wanted to go back and get my degree, I could. But I just don't really see that it's going to, in any way, kind of positively impact the trajectory of my life. So you mentioned that you learned through so many other platforms. Outside of work, how'd you learn? Because you mentioned you use the sales tape. So that that's serious. Yes. Yes. I mean, I, I would say definitely... Um, I'm a big, big reader and a big consumer of, of content. So I used to read more than I do now. But I mean, on average, I listened to two books last week. It's very, I would say I probably on average, I listen to at least a book a week, sometimes two. I also read books at night, but it's harder to read than it is to listen. So, and I listen to, I listen to podcasts too. So for me, I feel like there is so much opportunity. There's so much knowledge out there. It's just really deciding that you want that knowledge. And I believe that we should all be lifelong learners. So I'm fascinated by learning. And, and I do think that if, if I could attend a class every day and, and, you know, just spend my days in school, I, I think that there's so like that is fascinating. But I also really love being a leader. And uh, so I, I feel like for me, it's a balance, right? Of um, how am I learning and the areas I'm learning in, but also stepping into my role as a leader in the world. So if you were someone who was, if you were back 18, 20, what advice would you give to yourself? Like, hey, you know what? This is sort of a great way to learn. This is a great way to sort of level up and become the person that you will become. Oh, gosh, that's such a good question. I mean, I think definitely without a doubt, I would say that if if I could go back and give my younger self advice, I would say that I I should have stepped into my personal power sooner and I should have stepped into the role of leader sooner. Um, I think that I, I didn't have enough confidence to really kind of step into who I was at a younger age. And I think I probably would be further along in my life and my career if I had done that. If I had to sit down with my 18-year-old self graduating from high school and say, hey, this is the path that you should take... Certainly, I could have created a smoother path, but I also feel like I've learned so many lessons today that I don't think I would change any of it. You know, I, I think I am who I am today because of the challenges that I've faced. And I also think that just because you get a degree, it doesn't mean that you're going to be successful in life. Um, there are lots and lots of people out there working McDonald's with degrees, right? Not that there, there's anything wrong with working at McDonald's, but you know, there are lots of people out there who have degrees who don't put them into practice. And so for me, it's not as much about having a degree. It's about being a person of action and a person of intention, um, someone who has specific measurable goals for their life, who wants to live on purpose every day instead of letting life happen to them. Okay. Thank you so much for your time, Heather. So how would sort of someone follow you, get in contact with you? What are the best ways? 
I've been really active on LinkedIn. Um, so if you're interested in connecting with me on LinkedIn, that would be a great place to do it. You can just follow me at Heather Osgood over there. You can also, we have a podcast called Marketing Success with Podcast Advertising, um, where I'm interviewing brands that have been successful with podcast advertising and talking to them about, you know, the different techniques and strategies they've used to leverage um, podcast advertising. And you're always welcome to email me at heather at truenativemedia.com or check out our website. Okay, cool. So I'll have all that in the show notes. Thank you so much for your time, Heather. I think this was a wonderful episode. And I think a lot of people can definitely learn from you. So thank you for your time. And I look forward to seeing your company grow. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. It's been great. Another great episode. Thank you for listening. Hopefully this information is valuable and you learned a lot. Stay tuned for the next episode. This show is sponsored by you. No Degree wants to remain free from influence so that we can talk about the topics without bias. If you think this show is worth a dollar or two, please check out our Patreon page. Any amount is appreciated, and we'll go towards making future episodes even better. Follow us on Instagram or Snapchat at No Degree Podcast. On Facebook at facebook.com slash no degree inc. If you want to personally reach out to me, connect, or follow me on LinkedIn at Janaid Iqbal, spelled J-O-N-A-E-D. Last name, I-Q-B-A-L. Until next time, no degree, no problem. Nodegree.com. Yeah, Talk to so him. you got no degree? No problem. No problem. Any problem, we can solve we them. We got this. Linked insomnia. Keeps us evolving, growing in the knowing. Wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. If you didn't know, now you know. Let's sing that again, everybody. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. Linked insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in the knowing. The wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. Linked insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in the knowing. The wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. Yeah.